guys. Welcome back to another edition of Texans Unfiltered. Uh, I am Young Ari Gold, and today's a, a different day than what we've done in the past as we're getting close to the draft. Uh, wanted to bring on somebody's work that I respect, somebody that I look forward to every draft season, uh, somebody who works for a network that is a great network. Matt and Aaron over there are just great people, good dudes. Um, I can understand why you are at PFN. Uh, definitely a, a family vibe over there, and they're definitely doing everything they can to grow. Um, so Ian Warden, welcome to the show again. Like I said, I think it's been almost like five years since we've actually had you on again. <laughs> yeah, it's been a little while. The franchise has uh, gone through some, some changes and, uh, certainly, yeah, man, been a PF, PFN almost a year now and, uh, it's really been awesome. So really thankful to them and thankful to be on here with you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, man. And, and for those that, that don't follow Ian, you guys can follow him at NFL film study. Uh, he not only has worked at works at PFN, but he's worked at pretty much Oh, you can you name them. Uh, you've written something there. That is for sure in your career. Yeah, that's true. I think uh, I think probably ESPN is the only place where I haven't like written a piece for, which that would have been super cool if that would have worked out. But, uh, you know, there's still time. Yeah. Who knows? Right. Like right now, everything's going good. But yeah, like if basically anyone offered work, I was like, yeah, sure. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and Ian, when every time I start the show, I've, I've been on this self-like righteous path of like working on myself. So, I, I read the book, and I don't know if you read it, "The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck." I haven't. I've seen it a lot. Um, I think it'd be super interesting. So, I'd be interested to know. I mean, if if you enjoyed it, yeah, it's it's a great book, but a, a great book. Uh, but they they put out a calendar for 2023 called "Unfuck Yourself," and I always start the day off with whatever that that message is for the day. So. Today, there, there are countless things in your life that you've produced even while having an apparently negative mindset. Hell, some of my life's greatest victories have come with the dull head noise thud of I can't do it, pulling me down every step of the way. I did it anyways. You've done it too. All right, uh, Ian, this quarterback class, it's, um, I would say, I don't know if polarizing would be the proper word, but I, I think the reason why there seems to be a lot of attention around it is because within the top 10 of the NFL draft, there are a, a lot of quarterback needy teams and that that fits every year uh, if you have a quarterback you're typically selecting in the top 10 um if you're an organization that tends to never get it right you're typically picking a quarterback in the top 10 and you likely also have a, a new head coach which seems to also be a theme um in this in this draft class so i wanted to talk to you about like how, how do you see this quarterback class as a whole and then if you were to compare it to another draft class from a quarterback perspective, what class would you compare it to? It brings up 2018 to me um, where we had Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, um, Sam Darnold. And it, to me, it was very much the eye of the beholder, right? Like you kind of see what you want to see with this group. And I think in 2018, looking back at that group, people saw what they wanted to see with guys who were talented, but also had very clear flaws. And then there were also the issues of like, how do you get the most out of these type of guys? Can you like, what happens if you get the most out of these guys? And I think this class is kind of similar in the same vein in that not only do we have, you know, four or five guys who could potentially make the first round, probably four. Um, but some of it is, it's what you want to see out of them. If you want to focus on the negatives, you can. Will Levis, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, they all have massive flaws. If you want to, if you want to focus on those flaws, if you want to, you know, every guy is not perfect. Even Trevor Lawrence, there were guys that, that really weren't sure about Trevor Lawrence. And so um, I think this is a very, very talented group though. And I think there's a much more positively swinging message that we could put there because these guys are very skilled 
physically in a way that 2018 didn't have. So I think Sam Darnold was probably a good example of that. Yes, he was very physically talented, but his fatal flaws were fatal. He could not play in structure. And so I think that was something people didn't want to see because they saw all the positives that he made outside of structure. And so we saw it again with Zach Wilson. It replayed itself. It just so happened that the same organization ended up taking him and didn't see those same issues. And so, um, but there's those, that Josh Allen type, right? So Will Levis, Anthony Richardson almost have that, that Josh Allen vibe where it's, yeah, there's, you look at the film and you say, he's not a great player today, but the physical tools are so overwhelming that if he's going to be one of those guys who breaks the mold and he breaks through as an outlier, these guys have the tools to do it. And then you kind of have CJ Stroud almost as like a Baker Mayfield where you know what the floor is. The floor is a generally not bad player, like before injuries and stuff like that, or, you know, whatever happened with Baker. I think a lot happened with Baker, but um, barring like a catastrophic breakdown, this should be a pretty average player at worst. And then you're hoping for a little bit more because of their mental acumen, their physical, maybe their physical peak is a little bit better than what you're hoping. So I think there are some parallels to a 2018 group that, yeah, in retrospect, it fell apart around Josh Allen, but at the same time, it wasn't always that way. There were those moments. And I think if those organizations maybe were better or had done a better job um, in certain instances, maybe those players aren't quite where they are today. Oh, Ian, I don't know what happened. I can't hear you now. Um, oh. We're talking and now you're gone. Uh, give me two seconds. Sure. Not sure. What's going on here? Can you see me okay? I don't think it's you. I think it's actually me. Okay, maybe I can hear you now. Check. Check, check. Nope. Oh, come on, man. Let me see something here. All right, I'll be right back. Not sure what happened. Forgive me. All right. I'm not sure what happened there. Um, yeah, I can. That's super weird. I tried to connect my AirPods and then all of a sudden just disappeared. Um, no, I, I agree. And then when you when you look at the the Zach Wilson aspect of things, like also a different situation uh, compared to Sam Darnold, too. Um, had the support, right? Like had the offensive weapons that Sam actually lacked for you to have an understanding of what Sam's potential actually could be in the NFL. Yeah. The Jets did a pretty good job th this year of surrounding Zach with weapons, and yet you're still seeing that same off script, not really going to thrive in a, in, a, in a lack of structure and a lack of process on field. And um, now they're in a position where they're looking at Aaron Rodgers and, you know, or Derek Carr or even potentially taking another quarterback. Um, so when you and, and, and another thing that I think people fail to realize, and we talked about this a little bit uh, before show is like, the organizational structure, the support, the resources that is also needed and the patience to actually develop said quarterback. It's not just a, you have the Andrew Lux, don't get me wrong. It, they're rare, but you have them, but you have to be able to support them, understand their, where they're at when you draft them and what the, that developmental plan looks like to be able to get them to reach their ceiling. 
uh, because that floor is uh, it's easier. The, hitting the floor is a lot easier than hitting that ceiling, and there's going to be a lot of work put in. I think over the last couple of years, we've seen um, the developmental aspect of quarterbacks really play a part in the NFL. And it seems like organizations are being a lot more patient than they have been in the past. You have Jalen Hurts. You have Josh Allen. I'm trying to think. There's there's another one that's just slipping uh, my mind right now. But they, to, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, two is another one, right? Like hire the right coach and Mike McDaniels. We're talking about a franchise that tried to dump him multiple times, was heavy involved in the Deshaun Watson trade scenarios. Brian Flores wanted him nowhere near his team. But then Mike McDaniels comes in and it's he he met him where he was. And, and literally there's even an article about meeting him where he was and showing him 240 snaps of good football to let him know what he's capable of. Why do you think we've seen somewhat of a philosophical change with some of these organizations when it comes to the quarterback? And do you think it's something that we're going to start seeing a little bit more, especially with this draft class, right? Anthony Richardson, one of those quarterbacks that is going to take that time. Will Levis, another quarterback that's going to take that time. What do you think changed? Yeah, I think there's, there's been almost a realization. And I think this started to change when Mahomes entered the league and Josh Allen, you know, entered the league where um, the physical peak of these players and Lamar Jackson probably plays into this too. Like the play style has changed at the quarterback position and it's not just running. It's the dynamic ability to continue to create plays inside and outside of structure at such a high level that there are probably eight, maybe nine quarterbacks in the NFL that really matter. And I don't think we've ever been at this point where that's been the case, where it's so severe. Like you see it with Kirk Cousins now. Like Kirk Cousins has always been at the top of that that tier of good, but probably not good enough. And now I don't know if he's there. Like his numbers are great. Vikings fans all season said, hey, man, look at the throws this guy's making. And I said, it's, it's not going to matter. It's not who he is. He's not that guy. He's not going to make those clutch plays. He's, he, he's never been that guy. And I just think that the standard has changed to where these explosive players are there. And so organizations are now in a different spot. Organizations have to say, unless if we have a clear avenue to get one of those guys, we just have to prop up who we have. We have to make them as good as possible until we can find an alternate because we're only getting one to three years as coaches. I mean, Houston knows that better than anyone. Yeah. It is what it is. You know, if you, if you can't get the coach of your choice, that's another issue too. Or whatever, for whatever reason, if things break down, yeah, you might have to give someone a year and then you're going to look pretty bad for it, but it is what it is. We kind of have to restart the cycle next off season. And so there's a lot that goes into it. I think organizations now, they all say they want to be the Ravens. They all say they want to be the Steelers, but they don't want to go through the pain that those organizations go through for being so loyal to their coach. It's great that they're loyal to their coach, but those guys that make a lot of mistakes too, there's a lot of coordinator issues there. Their, their fan bases have some rightful gripes, even if that coach is great. Right. And so Philadelphia with Andy Reid, when they ended up parting ways with him, you know, way back, that was one of the first bold moves to where they said, you know what, we're stagnant and we kind of got to change things up here. And I think you rarely see that in a way that it, it ended in a bad way. Sure. And that's, that's for several reasons, but like organizations have quick hooks now and they don't really let things play out. And sometimes that's justified. Sometimes it's not. Um, and I think that makes the, the, it's almost like a pressure cooker at quarterback now yep. to where it's, we got to go all in in two years, unless if we find someone that we can, and I, I think Dak Prescott's probably a good example of like Dallas is about to do the same thing. They're probably going to extend him even though he's not good enough. Right. And, 
It's not that Dak isn't good because 10 years ago, Dak is good enough, right. but it's changed and his level of play dropped ever so slightly. And now everyone has to be worried about whether it's Carson Wentz situation, right? Like, is he just going to not be that guy anymore? And so I just think that job security is the number one thing, right? Like we're all fighting to save our jobs every single day. And so that translates to the NFL. And I think because the quarterback uh, discrepancy is so severe, it's got, I think it's got organizations on edge. And I think that they are either left to embrace who they have, even if they're only average or they basically try to blow it up. And that's a big risk too, because it's one thing to say you're cool at two and 14 and then you live through two and 14 and you answer to a billionaire who does not like that. <laughs> so all of a sudden he's like, you know what, maybe I don't want you rebuilding this. Yeah. And, and, and that, you know, that strikes home here in Houston because I mean, this team, we're starting to see now, and my biggest fear is that the owner is, is still going to be involved to an extent to where business decisions are made at a time where they shouldn't be. You know, Houston, when they started the organization back in 2002, up until I think it was either last year or the year before, they were sold out for 17 years. They didn't have to worry about the seats being filled. And now we're seeing last year and the year before, 25% capacity at the stadium you're, you're all in the news for the wrong reasons. You have every single aspect of the bad news cloud just all over you. It stays over you for, for years. Self-inflicted, totally understandable. Like not saying it's not. It's self-inflicted for sure. But then now you have an organization. And, and I do believe when we, when we hired Nick Casario, I think we made the right decision in the general manager. Mm-hmm. I think that fans just didn't understand the true complexities that came with taking this job and this being a rebuild that I don't know if we've seen in the NFL before, to be honest with you, like every other rebuild, it's pretty much the same blueprint. Hire your coach, draft well, grab a quarterback. You're, you're competing at least right for the division. Yeah. Here it's like 26 sexual assault allegations for your franchise quarterback. Uh, Also doesn't want to be here. A a meddling preacher that came out of nowhere, like game of Thrones. (laughs) Yeah. A new owner, and this piece seems to be left out a lot. A new owner, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, this guy took over the team with the team on fire and had yeah. to navigate through it. And for everybody that can say, "Oh, he's been groomed by by his dad, Bob," nothing you do can prepare you for what Cal took on as the yeah. new owner of the Houston Texans, because these are not things that have been navigated in the NFL before. And so when you look at Nick Casario and what he's done over the last, I would say, two years, the head coach hires, we can debate what those were. Um, I think everybody knows exactly what those were. Um, And he was in a situation where he had a clear cap space, didn't have draft picks. And early on, he, he talked about the Steelers formula and he talked about finding that head coach that's young and can be groomed and can be with the organization for a long time. And like you've said, though, these organizations talk about that a lot, but none of them tend to stick with the plan. And I think if that is the plan, I think the Texans are in a good position. Nick can scout. Nick is a very good talent evaluator, always has been, and has done a really good job with the drafts that he's had. Um, And so I I hope you're you're right in the sense of like they they can they can do it. It it can be done in the NFL. It can be replicated, but it's a patience. And going through two and 14 as a fan base, 
most fans think they want to rebuild until they're actually in a rebuild. And then they understand what it takes and what that process is going to look like. And it's not overnight and it's not a snap of a finger. There's lots of pieces you have to add and there's lots of things you've got to get right. You also need yeah. a little bit of luck to, to sprinkle in there. What are your thoughts on the Texans as of right now? Obviously, the last three years, it's been what it is. But with where the Texans organization is headed, you know, I like D'Amico Ryan's. I would have preferred an offensive guy um, yeah. only because that's where the league is going. And that's where we're seeing the success. But and I didn't have this on the agenda. So this is spot. On, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot, Ian. But where do you how do you see the Texans right now? Yeah, I think I'm encouraged. So, you know, I think. Casario's press conference after the season was um, a pretty telling moment. I think he was very vulnerable. I think he owned everything. He did inherit a tough situation. And I think there are moments where you can go back and say, like, yeah, it's, you didn't make the best draft pick possible. Um, and that's a game everyone can always play. Right. The point is, is this is their best opportunity to build right now. They've got an extra pick. They've got more cap space than what they've had. They have the ability to clear off some of a roster that needed to be cleansed and it took some time to cleanse um i love D'Amico ryan's i think coaching wise he will be a stellar coach it's just a matter of do you give him the time to build out the roster that he had in san francisco i mean that roster takes years to build it's not right. a, an instantaneous thing um you also need a quarterback which changes the game too whereas like if you inherit one you can take will anderson number two and there's no questions about it boom now you have your nick bosa so it's a complex discussion because the, the roster does need so much. And I'm with you. I think going offensively, it makes sense right now. And because now what happens is, is if you get a great offensive coordinator, you get a rookie head coach or a rookie quarterback, that's a hit. All of a sudden you're going to lose your offensive coordinator. Yep. And now we're back in the same mess that we were in a year ago. And so uh, that being said, I think Ryan's is like the right guy. I, I, I'm very encouraged with what he's done um, schematically. And you never know personality-wise. You never know as far as that stuff. But from what we can tell, I thought he was a great hire. I thought it was a great sign that Houston could land him. Um, it's a very impressive hire in that in that perspective. They, they just need time. If they're going to get it right, they need time. They need two or three years. And if they hit on quarterback, that's going to speed everything up a little bit. Um, but this roster, it's, you know, when you're pay, playing guys in their low to mid thirties year yeah. two of a rebuild, it's for a reason. And I've been critical of them for that. Yeah. However, I get why they've also done it. Like it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I'd rather have the 22 year old. That's probably terrible out there. But at the same time, I get that that's not functionally always possible. Yeah, no, it, it's a tough one. I think that's been probably the biggest criticism for Nick over the last couple of years is the fact that, you know, you're not pulling from practice squads on other teams. You're not trying to fill these holes with young players. But at the same time, it's like, can you really just fill the team of practice squad players from around the league? Right. You know, if you do, what are you truly developing? Because you have nobody to guide and, and show these young guys the way. If you have. Sounds, no sounds like the Rockets. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah that's, <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, and, and aren't you, are you based in Houston? I am for now. We're going to be, we just found out. Yeah. We just found out we're going to be relocating this summer, but yeah, for now I am. Okay. Yeah, so um, I, I agree. All right, let, let's get back to the quarterback class. So I, I wanted to kind of go by each guy. So if if nobody's aware, uh, and if you're not, I'm surprised you guys are here watching, but but Ian has done a thread on, I think, every quarterback so far. Uh, well, not um, every quarterback, but yeah, I, I haven't got four. Yeah, I've got, I haven't gotten to Levis yet, um, but I've seen him. Uh, so he'll be – I'm finishing up Young now. I think I just have two more games for Young, and then I'll – 
move on to Levis and then I'll do the next two and then we'll see who gets drafted after there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let, let's start with, I was going to go Levis, but let's go CJ Stroud. What, what is it that, what are the strengths and weaknesses of, of CJ Stroud for, from your scouting perspective? Yeah, great pocket passer. He's almost a, more of like a traditional quarterback. Um, I think he has some athleticism. He just doesn't use it consistently. Um, you're kind of looking for those moments and you're wondering like, is this almost like, almost like Deshaun Watson where like in college, he was more of like a system player where he was drop back. Let me execute the offense, create only when it, I absolutely have no other choice or like the, the stakes are extremely high. Um, really great arm, strong arm, very accurate pinpoint pocket passer. He is someone probably 15 years ago as a slam dunk number one pick um, even maybe even 10 years ago. And I think he's, very smart with the ball. He takes care of it extremely well. He knows what he's looking at. Very smart pre-snap. Good post-snap, kind of recognizing what defenses are doing. Um, you just worry about the upside there. So Notre Dame and uh, Georgia game, he's out there. He's creating. He's extending plays, getting outside the pocket, making plays. Every other game of his career, for the most part, he's not doing that. He's not super comfortable. He's not necessarily um, – especially against, against Michigan is going to be the gripe, right? Like two games against Michigan, he didn't take over. He didn't dominate the game. He didn't grab the game and make it his game. So you wonder, does he have that? Does he have that gamer trait? Does he have that instinct to take over when you really need it? If he doesn't, that's, I think, where the concern is, is that you're probably getting like an average quarterback, maybe slightly above average. And so you worry a little bit about the upside there, but the floor is tremendous because most players don't have that floor. So when you when when you when you bring up C.J. Stroud in general to, to people of, uh, that are football fans or or or, or watch football or or try to scout or just get into the film, there's always the talk of the Ohio State offense and, and the lack of NFL quarterbacks that's produced over the years. Can you talk a little bit about why there's that stigma around that? Yeah, I think some of that is um, Ohio State didn't have super talented quarterbacks for a while. Like, it's not fair to me to hold Braxton Miller against Ohio State. He just wasn't an NFL quarterback. Right. Terrell Pryor wasn't an NFL quarterback. Like, those guys were mid-round, late-round picks. Like, people talked about moving Pryor to a wide receiver position. So, Fields, I think Fields was the first talented guy. And at least in, like, an NFL st- yeah. sense. You know, like, you can probably go back to, like, Troy Smith. But he got hurt. And he was a mid-round pick. And he was short. Like, he was before Baker Mayfield. So, it's kind of hard to say, like, Nowadays, Troy Smith might have been a good NFL quarterback. I don't know. Um, but Fields has kind of gone into a tough situation where he was an electric thrower at Ohio State. Sure. Did he hold the ball a long time? Yeah, because it's what that's the archetype of player he is. He's like a Josh Allen type. You're going to yep. get big plays with him, and you kind of have to live through some of the, the growth to get better. And they haven't surrounded him with those things. And so I think looking at Ohio State's offense, it's not – I think Ryan Day does a really good job actually running a lot of pro concepts. I think he's – a guy that would be on NFL radars if he continues to win the level that he's winning at. Um, but I, I think, and it's fair to wonder because it's the Alabama question, are the receivers so good? And is the scheme so good because you've got an NFL caliber OC that they're just propping up decent quarterbacks? I think it's a fair question, but you have to go quarterback by quarterback. It's not a one size fits all problem ever. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. All right, my draft crush at quarterback, and 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 to be fully transparent, I am I am on the don't take a quarterback at two 
crowd. Uh, I've been pretty loud about that. It's not because I don't think quarterback is important. I just, I'm not a big believer in this quarterback class as being a franchise changing quarterback class. Um, I think there's a lot that organization has to do to be able to properly prop up these quarterbacks to get what you want out of them for them to be that. Um, and I think Anderson with D'Amico, I think that just that just makes more sense than than reaching. And I'm also big on not drafting based on need within the first two to three rounds. To be honest with you, maybe first two rounds. I think third round you could reach a little bit, but I think you got to you got to stick to your board. You have to be you have to go BPA. It's not like the Texans really have a lock on the roster outside of Tunsil and Damian Pierce. But even with Damian, you can get another running back to help them. But Tunsil's really the only position where that's the guy. You don't need to draft a left tackle. But yeah. if I was to take a quarterback, and I don't know if I'd take him at two, I might take him at two, is Anthony Richardson. And yeah. a lot of it has to do with the fact that I think Anthony Richardson, it all boils down to highest ceiling. When I'm looking at drafting a quarterback, I'm looking at potential. I'm looking at what that potential can be over the next 15 years. And how can, do we have the infrastructure in place to best support him to get him to that point? He is not polished in any form or fashion. Uh, his mechanics, somewhat scary at times. He definitely is more instinctual, relies on that to, to get by. And I think that works at Florida. I think it can work in the NFL at times, but it's not something you can rely on. Um, and I saw a really good comp of him the other day. Actually, last night, one of my followers said, he's Dak Prescott. Yep, he's Dak Prescott. But not as, or or he's just, they just said he is Dak Prescott. I, I think he could be Dak Prescott. I think he has a better arm than Dak Prescott. I think he has, he's a lot faster than Dak Prescott. But I think overall his ceiling is a lot higher than Dak Prescott and, and where Dak Prescott was coming out of college. I think they are very similar players, but I think Anthony Richardson's ceiling is a lot higher than Dak Prescott coming out of college. And I think also in the NFL, I like Anthony Richardson's value. What are your thoughts on Anthony Richardson? Yeah, I, I would agree with a lot of that. I think he's, he's the big swing, right? Like he's, I think he's better than what the film. Sh well, better with the stats show the stats say, he's, you know, inaccurate, can't complete a pass. He's not that guy. He's, he has a couple misses per game and those, those misses are mechanical, right? Like they come down to several things. It's footwork. It's, uh, passing motion that could be certainly tightened up. Some of it's just experience. Um, and I think that he was in a situation where they had a lot of two deep receivers, max protect, open up vertical passing lanes. And if there's nothing there, they create rushing lanes for him to go. Yeah. And the negative on that is that your passing rate and your completion rate are going to plummet because you don't have a lot of options to dump the ball off quickly. And so uh, I think when he – especially as you look at the second half of the season, when he takes over games, though, it's really special. Yeah. And his ability to create on the run, he's looking to throw the ball. I Every think that's time. the most important thing. He wants to throw the ball. And he's so good in the pocket. He's, I mean, his little steps, he isn't like a wild athlete in the pocket. He knows how to move around a little bit, knows how to buy time, knows how to shuffle a little bit without overcommitting one direction or another, especially with someone of his size. It almost reminds me of like Cam Newton. We're like, Newton, he was such a threat to run, and he's such a big strider, but he didn't always make big strides. He would do the subtle step and the, shuttle, and the shuffle 
to kind of buy him a little bit of a passing window. And I think that little nuance, I think, really matters. And I think that it's someone that he's shown that he's going to put in the work because he owns the little details. It's just a matter of experience and reps and getting him to a place that can build upon his strengths and his confidence. Um, to me, he's the swing. I, I would love to take the swing because I think he has what it takes to get into like the top eight or nine quarterbacks. And that's exactly what the point is here. The point is to win. I think he gives you the chance to win. Yeah, I, I, I say this on the timeline and, and people seem to blast me for it. But, but if you're drafting a quarterback in the AFC, you better be drafting a guy that can compete with Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert. Like this isn't the NFC. This is where if you're going to be playing in January – you better have a quarterback that can outduel or at least be on the same platform as the rest of the quarterbacks at times. And when I look at the rest of this draft class, I think there are consistent and potentially good quarterbacks. I think Anthony Richardson's the only one that I can see maybe reaching that level. If the team can support him properly. I don't know if I see that in Bryce young, which I think is a good transition into that. The next quarterback, I wanted to hear about your strengths and weaknesses and kind of what you think about them. I think Bryce Young is a is a talented quarterback. I think he's very good. I think he has a lot of the skills that you look for. His arm is a little worrisome for me. When when you watch him have to put a little zip on the ball, it's almost like a complete windup. Those out throws that you're completing on a regular basis when it comes to the NFL, those are throws that I would question he can make consistently. Um, and also he played at Alabama where, you know, everything kind of works. Not that he had a ton of talent. He didn't have Jameson Williams or any of those, but, but it is a talented college NFL team or I mean, college team. What are your thoughts on Bryce Young? Yeah, I think you just perfectly encapsulate a lot of my concerns with Bryce. Um, he's a good player. He's a, he's a gamer, right? Like, so I love that about him. He's someone who, when the moment really gets tough, when someone needs a play, He's going to be there. He was there in fourth quarters. He was there on the game-winning drives. And I think he did a great job of uh, maximizing his available talent and maximizing what was around him. And really a year that, like, Alabama wasn't Alabama. Like, Alabama's good, but, like, they weren't great. And so, you know, I think that he – sorry. I think that he is someone who got the most out of who he was, but I worry about who that is. Because I'm with you. I don't see a guy who can drive the ball extremely well downfield. I don't see a guy. And I went back to 2021 before the injury. And even before the injury, he wasn't someone like I couldn't tell a difference between 2021 and 2022. And people said, well, it's the shoulder injury. No, no, there really wasn't a difference. He can't drive the ball downfield extremely well. He can't push it to the far hash very well. Everything Alabama schemed up was near sideline. And it was right over the middle of the field because it's easy for him to throw. And so I think he's not super precise. So that's what you want to see. That's like Tua. Tua overcomes his arm strength with precision and timing. Yep. And so Bryce doesn't really have that. He's he's accurate. He's not extremely accurate. Um, I don't think he's a tremendous um, threat as far as reaching that next peak. So we right. talk about those eight or nine quarterbacks. I don't think there's any avenue to Bryce Young becoming that. It's not like Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray has the traits to get there. He's 20, he's 10% more explosive than Bryce Young. He's 10% better arm than Bryce Young. And I think that really matters. Now, Bryce Young might be 10% more committed. Right. <laughs> he might be 50% more committed. Right. <laughs> but, but like that only gets you so much, you know, that it, it still only gets you to a certain range. So um, 
I, I like Bryce and I hate going against him because he's a very likable player. He's yeah. someone who's fun to watch. Um, I think the individual is who you'd be betting on, which is a great thing. But at the same time, he's the smallest quarterback we've seen in forever. I don't think it's weight. ever happened. I, I can't think of a 5'10", 190 quarterback. I, I just can't. I mean, maybe Doug Flutie. I don't know what Doug Flutie's weight was listed as, but like, I'm not taking that chance. Right. <laughs> like, there's just no way. Not unless this guy has a Kyler Murray skill set and he doesn't have a Kyler Murray skill set. So um, I like the guy. I wouldn't draft him probably until middle to late first round. Ideally, um, he probably won't go there. And I probably wouldn't, you know, and we talked about like as a franchise, sometimes you just have to build around like, like a good but not great quarterback. To me, he's that guy. It's like if you're Washington, you know, and you're not sold on Sam Howell and you have a middle to late first round pick. Yeah, then that makes sense because you just don't have another avenue to get better. But if you're Houston and you've got the number two pick, why are we settling on a guy who could be good, not great? And that would be my big concern. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, look, we see this a lot we, in, in college football and especially that transition to the NFL. There are a lot of celebrated college quarterbacks that win the Heisman. They win the national championships. They do all the right things. They're a winner in college. But there are times, and it happens more often than not, where those quarterbacks tend to not translate to that same winning that they had in, in the college in the NFL. It, it tends to, it just doesn't translate. It doesn't work. There's nothing wrong with that. You can be a great college quarterback and just not be a great NFL quarterback. Bryce Young, I think you're right. Great person. When you watch him talk, when you watch him speak, he, you're, you're betting on the character because that character looks to be a very high-end, top-tier character, good person. But at the end of the day, that's not going to win you football games. And, you know, I, I think a lot of times with Houston fans, they're, they're still burned by Deshaun Watson. They still can't get it out of their head that they had a franchise quarterback, and now they don't. And I think they latch on to Bryce to an extent because Bryce had success. He won the national championship. It's very similar to a Deshaun story in, in a sense. And they, they want him. But to me, I'm trying to look at it from outside of that fan perspective. And what's going to bring us winning? And ultimately, that's when I look at Bryce Young. I think you can be a competitive team in, in the division. But I think beyond that, the limitations he has physically, you're probably not going to go past a, a division win here or there. Not only that, you're also going to be competing with Trevor Lawrence now, who looks to maybe have gotten it right. Um, all right, last guy. I don't want to get into Tanner McKee and Hendon Hooker right now. I've taken a lot of your time. Will Levis. Talk to me about what you've seen. I haven't watched a lot of Levis. Um, I've only seen clips and, and things that are posted on Twitter. Um, but the, the consensus seems to be around Levis that he's just kind of a guy with a lot of talent and a lot of arm strength. But when it comes to the mind and how he views things, it, it's, it doesn't seem to work out on the field. Yeah, he's um, – I think if you go back to 2021, because with him I think it's pretty, pretty common that like 2022 injuries, uh, that team lost a lot of talent like – you're really just looking for like one or two throws a game from him. Um, and it's not to excuse poor play, but it's, it's the Josh Allen theory. He is the Josh Allen theory again, um, where Josh Allen, when he was a junior, um, a fourth year junior, he was making some really terrible decisions. Like he looked worse. He, he regressed, but it's because he lost his lead running back. He lost the best blocker, lost the best receiver. Same thing happened to Levis. Um, and I think that that, certainly impacted his level of play on a team that was 
not super talented. And so what, but Levis is, is the same story, right? Like you're believing in the guy who plays under center more often than not, he's making pre-snap and post-snap reads. He's got a rifle of an arm. He can make any throw that buys him a lot of time. Um, and really does a good job of compensating for mental mistakes. Like that's part of this too, is like you expect young players to make mental mistakes. So he has the physical traits to overcome that. Um, the question is, how do you get him there consistently? Like that's the same thing with, with Josh Allen. Do you, are you going to give him two years to say, I don't care what happens on the field for the most part, as long as you work your butt off, we're going to believe in you as a person. And we need to surround, we know we have to surround you with a number one receiver. We got to give you a better offensive line. We got to give you a running game. Now Houston already has that, but he's, he's more of the guy that like you're trusting your organization with. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And, and Ian, first of all, thank you for, for the time. Thank you for do, doing double duty with, with as being a dad while also uh, doing this. I, I've been there. I got three of them, dude. So I, I remember the days. Um, two last questions. I'm, I am on the side of, and this has been a pretty de- huge debate in Houston. I think when you're evaluating NFL quarterbacks in the NFL that are already in the NFL, I think there's a lot of things you need to take into consideration. I I actually like a lot of what Davis Mills has done. I still don't know if Davis Mills can be a guy, but I also don't know if Davis Mills is trash like a lot of people think. I think when you look at Davis Mills and what he's had to deal with from a, a roster perspective, from a coaching perspective, from a scheme perspective, I don't really think you can truly evaluate what Davis Mills floor is or ceiling is. And I'm not saying that they need to build around him. That's if they take a quarterback, they take a quarterback, but I, I just feel like you can't tell me what Davis Mills actually is. If he was in a Shanahan offense and he was with the Niners, I think he's a better quarterback than Brock Purdy. What, what does Davis Mills career look like? What has been your thought of Davis Mills so far? Yeah, I think it's been, I think you kind of mentioned it. It's like, it's kind of hard to know. Like, you like some of the things that you see with him. He takes care of the ball pretty well. Um, So I think he makes decent decisions, especially for someone who didn't have a lot of experience coming out of college. Um, You like the physical traits. You like his ability to kind of move around a little bit. Um, You like the projection to a friendlier scheme, for sure. At the same time, you don't see a lot of explosiveness. You don't see a lot of, like, the pinpoint throws. And some of that's hard, too, because it's like, well, he hasn't had, like, a standout coordinator. He hasn't had, like, a Mike McDaniel. So, you know, he hasn't had like even a deep receiving core. I like Nico Collins. He's probably been overcasted as a number two. Yeah. You know, he had Danny Amendola on the field his rookie year. It's like, you know, 50 years old. Right. And so it's like some of it you just can't tell. And I think this is going to come down to do you trust in him as a person more than you trust in your options in the draft? If you think you can get more out of him and there's a lot more there, Maybe you save the picks and you just say, you know what, maybe this is a 2024 issue if it's an issue. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. Like you can justify taking Will Anderson or Jalen Carter, number two, if you're saying, hey, you know what, we think we have our guy. We're willing to admit that we're wrong, but we also just don't love who's there currently at number two. That's part, that's got to be part of it. You can't love who's there at number two. Yeah, and I think the love aspect is a part that people seem to miss. It's like you can't just take a quarterback to take a quarterback. You you need one, but you can't take one. You have to – not only that, as a GM, you're tied to that quarterback. The, the time has already started for Nick Casario. That that time is 
is moved up a lot more when you draft a quarterback and you have to love the prospect and who he could be potentially for you. And if not, you can't just take one. All right. Last question. You're at, you're at two, you're Nick Casario. Uh, you're at two and you're at 12. What are you doing with the picks? So two, I'm taking Richardson. I think he's the guy. Um, I'm willing to risk it on him. Uh, this goes back to the offensive coordinator position too. Like you have to have trust that you're the right guy at OC, the right guy at quarterback coach. Like, if you, you know, and of course these guys are all going to feel good about their hires. Right. But like, you really got to have faith and I'm going to put faith that we're going to make the right decisions at those spots. And then at 12, I'm looking best player available. I'd love to get an edge defender. I would love to add someone who can be like the, the backbone of my defense, but I'm not forcing it. I'm not, you know, I'm not the type to force those types of picks. I am probably leaning more towards, you know, if you can get a disruptive front seven player on defense, um, maybe if there's a stud cornerback there, like a Cam Phillips out of Utah, someone like that, I would consider it, right? Like I don't go into that position thinking um, that I don't have, you know, I need to go into that position with an open mind, basically saying we just need like the biggest playmaker. Yeah, no, I, I agree. All right, Ian Warden, uh, PFN, Pro Football Network. Follow him on Twitter at NFL Film Study. Ian, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, and, and thanks for doing double duty, dude. Uh, you're awesome for that. Um, we'll have to have you on after the draft to kind of recap some of the things that happened. Uh, good luck on your move. And tell the people where else they can follow you or anything else that you want to want to let the listeners know. Yeah, thanks so much. It's at NFL Film Study on Twitter. And um, definitely, man, looking forward to it. Awesome. All right, Texans Unfiltered. We'll catch you guys on Monday morning. 